Welcome to the Doe Valley Ministry Podcast, where you can find faithful teaching and preaching of the Word of God. Our Gospel lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verses 30 to 37. Last week we kind of finished up chapter 8, and now we kind of jump towards the end of chapter 9 here. We see Jesus again predicting his death and resurrection, and then we see the disciples discussing among themselves who is the greatest this morning. Then they departed from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know it. For he taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise the third day. But they did not understand this saying, and were afraid to ask him. Then he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent, for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. And he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all, and servant of all. Then he took a little child, and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. This is the word of our Lord. As I said last week, we finished up chapter 8. And at the beginning of Mark chapter 9, we read about the transfiguration of Christ. And we studied this a few months ago on Transfiguration Sunday, so we can skip over here this morning. But whenever Peter, James, John, and Jesus return from that mountaintop experience, they see a large crowd gathering with the other nine disciples that were left there. And there was... Uh, dispute going on. So Jesus comes down and asks them, what's, uh, what's it about? And a man speaks up and says, Teacher, I brought my son to your disciples to be healed from his demon possession, but they could not do it. The father admitted his lack of faith and asked Jesus to increase his faith. Jesus did so and commanded the demon to leave the boy alone, and it does. The boy is healed. That was right after they come down from the transfiguration of Christ. And again, the crowd starts to grow larger again. Not because they want to follow Jesus for eternal life, but because they want their physical needs met. As we've been studying for the past several weeks and months, this is how it is. But Jesus was still on his heavenly timetable, and he knew that he had to get away from the crowd and continue to teach his disciples privately about what was to come, about the things that would happen. So he took the disciples and started heading through Galilee to Capernaum. The cross is now only a few months away. And on the way to Capernaum, Jesus again gives a clear prediction of his death and resurrection. 
it was plainly stated. And even though Jesus clearly stated this prediction, the disciples still did not fully understand it. And they were afraid to ask Jesus for further clarification. Now, it wasn't totally their fault that they didn't understand. If you look at the parallel account in the Gospel of Luke, it tells us that the full meaning was hidden from them. So there was some divine intervention there. The meaning they weren't supposed to fully understand everything right now. But as they continue their journey, some discussions arise among the twelve disciples. The discussions were more likely a debate. And the debate was about which one of them would be the greatest in heaven. Who will be the greatest? Can you believe that? These twelve are the future leaders of the church. And they're talking themselves up. Which one of us is the greatest? All while Christ is talking himself down and talking about his impending death. In fact, this is the the first time of three times that we'll see the disciples having this discussion or this debate or quite honestly this argument, if you will, about who is the greatest. It's amazing. Here are these Twelve closest people to Jesus. They've lived with him. They've listened to him for the past three years. They've seen so many miracles and healings. And they've done things themselves. All of them. And here they are discussing which one of them is the greatest. Which one of us is the best. Now, it's possible that this discussion came about because Peter, James, and John got to see the transfiguration of Christ. They got to witness that. Something very, very special. So this discussion, this argument, this debate that they're having shows the normalcy of the twelve apostles. It shows that they were people just like us. And it shows the difficulty that they had in understanding and more importantly practicing the teachings of Christ. They were real people, just like us. And they had trouble with earthly things. Jesus, of course, knows their thoughts, asks them what they were discussing. What were you guys discussing out there? I heard you talking about some stuff on our journey. What were you talking about? The disciples, of course, were a little embarrassed, no doubt, by their discussion. They didn't want to admit the topic of conversation. So they remained silent. No doubt, uh, they probably put their heads down like this kind of looked around, you know, maybe didn't make any eye contact with Jesus at all because they didn't want to admit that they were trying to figure out and argue about which one of them 
was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So finally, if you get if you read the parallel account in the Gospel of Matthew, one of the disciples actually asked Jesus the question then, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Finally, someone gets a little bit of courage and asks the question. Now, this was an important question to them. And as I mentioned, this is the this is the first time of three that they've had this debate or this discussion. And this was a common question and discussion among religious teachers of their day as well. The attitude behind the question is much the same as the attitude uh, that we have today, that many people still experience today. Egoism. And it's natural to most people. Most people want to be first in line, right? Most people want to get there early to get the best seats in the house or in the theater or wherever they're at. Most people take the biggest piece of the pie, right? That's human nature to some extent. Many people think they deserve better things. Many people believe they're above the law, especially politicians. They believe they're above it. They believe they are better than other people. Egoism is nothing new or unique to us today. It was around 2,000 years ago with the people of Jesus' day. And in fact, if you think back to the beginning, to the very beginning, with Eve. The same thing happened there. Why did she eat the fruit? Because she was deceived into believing she could be like God. She thought she would be in charge and she could determine her own destiny. Egoism is something that has been a part of us since the beginning. But it causes or it can cause arrogance, selfishness. It has caused wars, greed, jealousy, and many other evils. Our culture today pretty much accepts it as normal. It's widespread and it's ingrained throughout our lives. But here we see 2,000 years ago the disciples, the twelve, the leaders, the future leaders of the church arguing about who is the greatest. Who is the best? Who is going to be first? Who is going to sit on Jesus' right hand and on his left hand side? Quite honestly, each of those disciples could make a case for being the greatest. Peter, James, John, and so on. They all did certain things. Andrew, Philip, they all did things. And they could all make a case for themselves. Each had their weaknesses, though. Each had their failures. And we don't know all their weaknesses and all their failures. They're not all recorded in Scripture. But they all are human. 
So Jesus introduces something to them called humility. He says, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. What a saying. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. It's through humility that Jesus sees our value. He sees our worth. All people are indeed precious to Jesus. But the greatest among us will be the servant of all. And as we humble ourselves before God, we will be exalted. The idea of humility is very easy to understand. But it's extremely difficult to put into practice consistently. Think about it. Everyone here believes that Jesus loves them. I'm sure of that. Most people have no problems believing and accepting the fact that Jesus loves them. But how about your neighbor? The problem is believing that Jesus loves your neighbor. Or Jesus loves that person that just cut you off on the road. Or the person that jumped in front of you in line. Or whatever it is. And the thing is, they may not have realized they did something. You know, I drive 422 every day from Strongstown to Indiana. And there's a lot of pool trucks on that road. And oftentimes, rocks, debris, whatever, flies off of their truck and smashes my windshield. I can't blame them. They, they probably don't know they smashed my windshield. It's not their fault. Things like that happen. Jesus loves them as much as he loves me. And we can't get mad at that person just because something happened. You know, oftentimes it flies up off their tires. Even if their, their load is, is properly secured, things still happen. And we need to understand that. We need to humble ourselves and realize that, yes, Jesus loves us, but he loves other people too. To help uh, further clarify his point, Jesus embraces a child, brings him into the, the crowd, into the group, and actually probably sits him on his lap. And Jesus tells the disciples they need to be like children to enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is really warning the twelve, and he's warning us as well, that unless you change your attitude, you will not make it into the kingdom of heaven. Instead of being egotistical and, and egomaniac, letting your ego run wild, be humble. Be like a child. Notice he doesn't say be childish. He doesn't say that. But he says be like a child. Be childlike. What are children like? Children are totally dependent upon their provider. In most cases, a father or mother. But some guardian. They are totally dependent upon another person to provide for them. And that's the way we need to be with God. 
no doubt God expects us to do stuff. I mean, we just can't sit around all day and expect Him to have someone come and feed us and take care of us. No. Some of us can't do that. And He will provide someone to do that. But if He gives you the strength and the ability to do things, then you need to do them, for sure. But He is the one who ultimately provides for us. He gives us what we have. He cares for us. Children are trusting by nature. And that, unfortunately, is one of the reasons why children are so easily abused. Because they are trusting of that adult person, of that guardian. They trust adults. But through that trust, they learn the capacity to trust God as well. And we know that God holds parents and other adults who influence children accountable for their actions. He holds them accountable for how they influence that child's life. So that is an important thing to remember. Whether you have children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren or just simply the neighbor's children. God holds accountable the adults that are affecting that child's life. We need to be humble. We need to be trusting like a child. And that is the question this morning. How humble are you? God humbled the disciples many, many times. He gave Paul a thorn in his side to keep him humble. Because Paul had a right to boast. He had a right to brag on a worldly, humanistic level. And he could have let all the stuff that Paul did, they could have let him get to his head. But God kept him humble. Whatever that thorn in his side was, it kept him focused on heaven and focused on godly ways. Do you serve God and do the things you do so you can be lifted up, so you can be honored, so you can be praised? Or do you do the things you do for God, to lift Him up, to honor Him, to serve Him? Do you love your neighbor? Jesus does. What about those children? Do you influence them in godly ways? And not only that, but do you learn from them? Do you learn how trusting they can be? And how oftentimes part of a child's life, they will need to be disciplined. But yet after that discipline takes place, do they not come right back with a hug or a kiss? And childlike humility, say I'm sorry or whatever it is that they've done wrong. I won't do that again. What about you with God? Do you do the same? These are some things to think about this week as we go about our business. How do we serve God? 
And shouldn't we serve Him humbly? Let us close with a word of prayer this morning. Lord, help us to be humble people. Help us to serve others out of love and compassion. And help us to lift You up and give You the glory. Strengthen us so that we may do Your will. And watch over our children. And enable us to teach them and raise them according to Your standards. It's through Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen.